0: This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available. Intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Are you ready for an incredible show today, my friend? Because we have one for you. We're covering a variety of topics, including how living a life as an experiment can free you, how a small amount of money and just a little time away can change your life forever, Progress over perfection, why that's important, shutting off work while you travel, another key topic to get the most out of your travel experience, how to save thousands of dollars on medical and dental work, we're talking national parks, and you're going to get a fresh take on nomad life from somebody who is not so far into it, not so far removed from his former sort of quote-unquote traditional life now living as a nomad and wanting to give you his perspective because he's not too far into it, but he's also not too far from where he came from. So a lot going on in this conversation today. I know you're going to get a ton of value out of this show, plus a shout out to somebody in this Zero to Travel community. I'm going to share a couple tips on how to cut plastic waste while you travel, and it's all happening right now. So buckle up, strap in, grab your favorite beverage. Thanks for being here, and welcome Hey, this is Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms. And as you heard at the top of the show, a lot of this theme is around experimentation, how experimentation can be a lens through which you live your travel life and your regular life, a healthy lens. That's a deep topic that we go into today, as well as the other stuff I mentioned so much more. Quickly, before we get into the interview, thank you to everybody who's taken the time to write and drop me a line. You can always get in touch, Jason, at travel.com. This is a community-powered show, so if this is your first time listening or you're new to the community, welcome, and you should know that this is a two-way dialogue. Love to interact with people that are listening to this show all over the world, so send me a picture, send me your thoughts. If you want to offer yourself up as a guest because you have a, some kind of story or some value to share, go for it. I get those emails as well. Whatever. Dropping me a line, just say hi. Somebody wrote me, uh, sent me, I should say, a voice message the other day. A recorded voice message. That was awesome to get, and I just love hearing from you all. So please, reach out, give some suggestions for the show. This is your show. I'm just hosting it and trying to bring you as much value as possible, and I want to know what you want. So the only way I can know that is if you get in touch. And I will give a quick shout out to somebody who wrote me a review on my birthday They didn't know it was my birthday. My birthday is December 17th. And I just wanted to give them a shout out because that was nice and serendipitous. Uh, It was Gibbert03 was the username said, Love this podcast. Jason is such a good, positive energy. I always feel so inspired listening to other people's stories on how they travel, what they do for work, and all the adventures they have. My husband and I are planning to travel to 22 countries next year. Listening to this podcast gets me all fired up and excited to go. And it was a five-star review, so thank you. Thanks for the lovely birthday present. Uh, If you do want to leave a review or get in touch, like I said, you know where you can do that. And if you haven't signed up for our email community newsletter over at zero to travel.com you should hit pause and do that now unless you're driving or something don't be crazy but you should because we got some exciting stuff coming up including a live stream i'm putting together with a bunch of experts who have figured out a way to build their travel lives and their business lives around something they love that's going to be a free event so we're doing these types of things all the time but the only way you can hear about them is if you sign up for the newsletter over at zero to travel.com. So if you want to get the content that's happening off the podcast, you should sign up over there to keep in touch. Right now, I'm giving away a free mini audio course when you sign up as well. So go ahead and do that. Now, let's get into today's show. I had a blast with this interview with my buddy, who has a an incredible first name that you'll hear <laughs> in the interview. And uh, we just covered so much. And I kind of ticked those off right when we started the podcast so I don't need to summarize that I'm just going to get into the conversation now please enjoy it and on the back end I'll come back I'm going to share a couple tips a couple important tips on how to cut your plastic waste down when you're traveling and also we'll leave you with a wonderful quote from one of my favorite gurus so stick around for that I will see you on the other side my friend
1: You enjoy talking and digging, man. That's why you're good at what you do.
0: I enjoy talking and digging. That's true. I just hit record. So I'm glad I hit it right before then because you just said that's why you're good at what you do. And I'm like, hey, I'll take the (laughs) compliments.
1: Nice t-shirt,
0: by the way. Nomad. Is there anything under there? Did you make that?
1: I actually did design this. Yes. I didn't realize I was wearing it.
0: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Where are you?
1: I am uh, house-sitting in Charlotte, North Carolina right now.
0: House sitting. Yes. How's that going?
1: Uh, pretty good. It's it's nice to slow down for a minute and actually get some work done without you know changing locations uh, regularly, especially after the long road trip. Um, you know, two and a half months, kind of traveling across the U.S., different places, uh, a lot. Uh, yes. Three months. So, so to to sit down here for. Three to four weeks. I I had a house that was a a week, and then this one's about three weeks. And then I fly to Europe uh, next week. So kind of nice to chill
0: out. My side of the ponds. I can't believe it's been two and a half months since you left on your road trip, because I remember when you posted up about that in the Location Indie community. And I was like, oh, man, like... You're, you're off and you're doing it. And I think um, this is a really interesting time to talk to you. By the way, I should introduce you, right? I'm talking to Jason Robinson. Very cool name, Jason, from nomadexperiment.com And you sold your house and kind of hit the road and did this whole nomad experiment, like fully, full nomad. Um, recently enough where I'm sure you're still got like emotional ties and it's fresh for you, you can remember it. But you've also been on the road long enough where we can get a good perspective on how it's going for you, what that's like, and maybe get some advice for people that are planning on doing this and what you know what the reality is like when you first get started, things you had to get used to and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of... You're sitting in the perfect spot right now. I don't mean between those two hideous paintings at this person's house that i'm looking at yeah
1: <laughs> they are good friends of mine but i'll let them know
0: <laughs> sorry oh boy i should watch before i uh well i mean all right to be fair i can't see the tops of the painting so maybe there's something awesome going on the top 25 um... better yeah <laughs> uh all right man so first of all everybody should know a little about you and i want to know where you were born and where you grew up
1: I was born in Akron, Ohio. Grew up in Akron, Ohio. Uh, Isn't that where the Black Keys are from? I do believe that that sounds familiar. Yes, I've been gone long enough that the Black Keys were after my my transition out of Akron, but um but yeah, I grew up there. Went to you know, all of my schooling through college there. Did the 6-year plan and then moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I've lived in Charlotte, North Carolina since then, so about 17
0: years. Why did you move to to Charlotte?
1: So my dad moved down here. Um, parents got divorced. He he his job moved to Charlotte or near Charlotte, and that was actually the first time I started opening my eyes to the possibility of leaving my hometown. And actually, it, it didn't even open my eyes to travel. It, I just opened my eyes to the reality that I didn't have to stay in. My small town that I grew up in, which Akron's, you know, Akron's gotten around, uh, the name's gotten around because of LeBron and stuff like that. But Akron's a pretty small place. Um, rubber Factor of the World, BS Goodrich, Firestone, General Tire, and a lot of factory jobs and things like that back when I was growing up. So when he moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, I started to visit every year in spring, at spring break in college. And then literally after four or five years of visiting, it clicked that I could actually leave and move. So the, even the seed of travel wasn't even planted in my brain until about 23 to 24 years old.
0: Yeah. Because I had a similar experience. It's like, it just seems like it should be so obvious, right? Like, oh, I can just, yeah, I could just move to the city or whatever. But I don't know. I You can get so kind of closed off in some way. I mean, it's not, this is certainly not a universal thing. But I mean, I meet some kids now that are, in high school, and they're just so much more free thinking than I was, you know well, what I mean
1: it has to do with your upbringing i We didn't travel uh we camped and we hiked, and we did most of those things within two hours of our house, which to me was a vacation or it was it was travel that's what I thought travel was so yes, even though I knew that there was this big world, and obviously you know we learned those things in in elementary and middle and high school there was just a disconnect there unless you are put on the track of getting out of this country or somebody puts you on a plane and says, Hey, we're going to this place. I mean, I had never been on a plane until in, in my early twenties. So it just, it, it, there was a disconnect there just because I had never experienced it. And it was no, you know, there's no disrespect to my upbringing. It's just, that's the way I, we were. And it was great. And I loved all those things. I just didn't know that there was another side of the coin.
0: Yeah, it was the same for me. It was. uh yeah, it was like kind of like what you could drive to, right? We went to Florida once when I was... I must have been like seven or eight. and We did the Disney thing. And of course, that was incredible. I mean, we got, we got on a plane and we were down at Disney and all that. But outside of that, yeah, there wasn't a lot of plane exploration type stuff going on. So we have a similar... Well,
1: stories are... It always cracks me up how similar our stories are because I... Literally, the two times that I remember getting out of of Ohio under 18 years old with my family we went to disney world in florida <laughs> and we also we also went and camped down in arkansas we had family uh land on the spring river in arkansas so i think we went down there like two or three of those summers but you and i love hiking you like you and i have a lot of similarities including a name
0: <laughs> yeah i know right yeah that's funny i mean it's uh and were you in the in the suburbs of akron
1: <sighs> i don't know that we had suburbs okay um <laughs> I don't know what that. I'm means. just wondering um, if
0: it that similarity there too, because I grew up in the suburbs. Yeah, of Philadelphia. we were
1: no. I was. I would have probably considered mine inner city. You know, very mixed, uh, like melting pot, melting pot area. Um, yeah.
0: Would you say that Akron's the East Coast or the Midwest?
1: It, it's considered Midwest, which I still don't understand that geography.
0: <laughs> yeah, because Ohio is kind of one of those. It's on the cusp. I mean, I guess it's the Midwest, right? But it's. Well, Pennsylvania is so damn wide, you know. By the well, time I, you get I to, I haven't
1: done the math, but but I had friends that have told me that it's based on distribution of population. So when you look at distribution of population in the U.S., I would say that yes, that's probably the middle distribution. I don't know if that's true or not. I've still not looked it up, but it doesn't make sense <laughs> to me. That
0: it's the Midwest. <laughs> All right, so you settled in Charlotte. I mean, and you settled there because you said you were there for seventeen years. You at some point I mean, you were working there you bought a house you that was where your life was right
1: yes yeah, so i actually remember having the conversation in my head when i was about 28 29 years old i know that it was right around then that i said you should probably have a house by the time you're 30 like i would literally remember those words like going up going around in my head which was that programming from the non travel like Uh, mindset. It was, you grow up, you get married, you get a house, you have some kids, like you do all these things in order. And my brain was saying, you should probably have a house by the time you're 30 or something. So I had a condo on the hook, the bubble burst back in 2008. I ended up buying a home instead. And I just sold that home. So I had it for 11 years, I guess. Um, I was pretty rooted in, in Charlotte and I've been self-employed for about 12 years, which is a really fancy way of saying, you know, a freelancer, a freelance graphic designer, signage wayfinding designer. Um, So I worked in that home and lived in that home. Yeah, 11 years and got to the point where, you know, I, I, uh, through years of research and just kind of opening my mind up, I said, this doesn't quite make sense for me right now. And, you know, we can fill in some of the blanks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, man, I was, uh, I mean, I've talked to you in that home that's not your home anymore. And how do you feel? I, I mean, I can imagine that it's not an easy thing to sell a home that you've lived in for 11 years, or maybe it was for you.
1: Yeah. You and I um, and Travis kind of got to know each other or started passing about three or four years ago. And that's really when I started um, learning about travel and and deciding what my next steps were going to be. Um, Essentially, I got a dog when I was 21 years old. He stayed with me for 16 and a half years. So he was, and he also had anger issues and uh, he had uh, seizures. So he wasn't the kind of dog that you could just be like, hey, I'm going to go away for two weeks and I'm going to have my buddy watch my dog. Like he had it was an expensive animal to have. So my, my travel was very limited, even though I, I was quasi location independent with being a designer. So having the house in Charlotte, you know, it was good. It was beneficial. Um, I loved it. I actually redid almost everything in that house my, by my own hand over the course of those years. So it was difficult, but I have viewed material things for quite a while now as things that you can get again. And I, and I kind of said it whenever I was selling the house, and you and I probably had the conversation, that if I wanna go out and buy another house tomorrow, I can, I can take those, the proceeds from my previous house or I can go get another loan and I can be in the same position if that chooses to be the path I wanna go down after giving this part of the experiment a try. So, but, but you ask a good question there, you know, did I miss the house? Was it hard for me to sell that house? over the course of the three years prior where I was really diving into this location, independent, like, um, travel mindset, I started traveling more and more. So two years ago, I set a goal for myself. I said, okay, if you're going to do this, like how are you going to chart your course and, and have tabs on it? And I said, all right, you're going to travel. You're not going to sleep in your bed for one quarter of the year. So I took, um, I can't do the math right now. It's like 70-something days. And I said, okay, 70 days or so this year, you're not going to sleep in your bed. Figure it out. Do it. And I did that the first year. And I was like, okay, I'm really pushing my comfort zone here because that was really new to me. And then the next year, I said, all right, let's up that. And I went to one-third of the year, so 120 days. So I was really pushing myself to get outside of my comfort zone and take trips and be able to work on the road and do all of these things that were the true like, location-independent lifestyle um, while I was still rooted in Charlotte and I had a lot of strings in Charlotte. Um, so the funny thing is during those trips away, I never thought about my house. Like, like literally didn't cross my mind. My first trip to Mexico a couple years ago, um, roughly two years ago, I went for three weeks. The only time I thought about my house was I was like, man, my yard probably needs mowed. And so, so I should have seen that when I did finally sell my house. I literally haven't driven by it. I've been in Charlotte probably 45 days since I've sold that house and I haven't driven by it. I, I, the only thing I've thought about is whether they cut my beautiful trees down because I, I love trees and I had some beautiful trees and I cared for them. i was like, eh, I don't even want to drive by and see if, what they've done to it. But when I was on a lot of those trips, I never thought about my house. So I was quite surprised, oddly surprised. Once I finally sold the house, I was like, man, I don't miss it. I'm I enjoy traveling. I enjoy these things. So, you know, it was all there in front of me. But again, I didn't see that I was actually probably acclimated towards traveling more than I was, you know, staying in that one spot.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like from those experiments, the 70 whatever days, and then doing that the next year you were, I mean, testing out the lifestyle. In a way, I guess that was the intention behind it. And it certainly sounds like it did its job because there can be a lot of emotional attachments to a house. I mean, I know, even though I love traveling, man, when I walk into the house, there's like sometimes, well, especially with two kids, when you travel with them, you're like, oh, you know, there's like this uh, release that like, oh, I can just relax. I don't have to like figure out where we're sleeping tonight. I don't have to like figure this town out or whatever. So there's that element of staying home that is always comfortable, but then with comfort comes, can come stagnation, I suppose. Like, what was the thing that kind of got you thinking about all this in the first place?
1: So when I was like 27, 28 in Charlotte, uh, one of my buddies, Gage Mitchell, Modern Species, um, also a design studio that I work with. Um, he, they, he and his girlfriend sold all their belongings and they went and traveled Eurasia for about eight or 10 months. And they did that on $17,000 total. Uh, and he, and he wrote about it. He blogged about it. This was, you know, early in the days of, of budget blogging and travel blogging. And they literally detailed every single penny that they spent, um, you know, $2 for a, an apartment in, in Bali or Chiang Mai or something like that. And, you know, this much for food and they, and I really started to see, the possibility of travel not being something that was expensive like I always thought it was. Hmm. So that was the first piece. Because this is somebody
0: you knew personally that you...
1: Absolutely. He used to work at my design firm and he said, you know what, now's the time to do it. We're going to go. And... And so I started to watch that. And he and I are still good friends. I was talking to him yesterday on the phone. Nice. I think um, that can make
0: a huge impact and not to interrupt, but I, I guess I am. <laughs> I, say, I hate when people say that not to interrupt, but I'm going to interrupt anyway. You know, it's one thing to read about somebody's travels and how much they've spent and all that online. And you, yes, that could be, you could say, well, that's the same information. But when you're, you're a physical friend with somebody in the, in the real world, and then you kind of watch them go through all this and then do this and come back, it's just, it's just a different thing. I think it's more impactful.
1: Yep. Yep. So he, at one point while he was traveling, he emailed me a book that was something, something, something location independent. That was the title. And that was the first time, and this was, I was 20, that was 28. So that was 13 years ago. That was the first time that I ever heard that phrase of location independent. And, you know, talking about the idea of working, you know, a, the type of job that you can do from a computer anywhere in the world. And I didn't read that book. I didn't buy the book. But it was, I remember distinctly that he sent that to me. He's like, Hey, I think this is something you should look into. And that was like the first seed that started to plant the idea of being able to travel, being able to make a living and, and do those different things. Um, and so yeah, that was about 28 years old. And that was also right around the time that I had a relationship that for dramatic purposes imploded. And, you know, I thought I was going to get married. We were looking at kids and things like that. And all of a sudden that went away and I was still not very well traveled. So I always thought that okay, I have somebody to do this with and we're going to start doing this. And once that kind of, you know, the bottom fell out of that, uh, I, I remember sitting down one day, I kind of got out of my, my pit of, of despair and I said, dude, if you're going to do this, you can't continue to wait for the right circumstances or wait for somebody to show you how to do it or wait for somebody to be by your side. Like, you just going to have to do it. And I sat down and I had two browser windows open, one of them for hostels because I'd never heard of hostels or I'd never – been at a hostel, but I recently heard about them. And I had another one open for flights, um, having flown very little. And I, I found a, a hostel in Austin, Texas, and a flight that lined up. And I was like, screw it, let's do this. And I, I went there for a week. And that was the first, you know, my first interaction with real like budget travel and just kind of doing things on a little bit cheaper scale. and Independent and, and travel, complete, solo
0: travel type of thing. Yeah.
1: And yeah. it just, my, my brain exploded. I mean, it opened up my world. I, I, I have a friend from uh, Ireland, who I still talk to today that I met on that trip, another guy from England that I still talk to today, and it, we just hung out for four or five days in Austin and met all these amazing people from the, around the world. It was budget conscious, uh, it was comfortable, all these different things, and I'm just like, man, my my my, my world, my perspective totally changed after that experience. And um, you know, I, I preach from the hills about hostels and things like that. I think uh, Americans, especially, uh, there's just terrible um, misconception about hostels and they are so different than most people think. Um, the opportunity is there now granted, you know, it's not for everybody, but at the same time, um, I get so much of this, uh, I can't afford to travel. Oh, but then I won't stay at, at, at a, at a budget accommodation. Well, it's like, you got to make a choice at some point, either you want to travel and you'll make some concessions or you're not going to travel. And uh, so for or you me, can travel was,
0: a lot less, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, travel a lot less. You can travel twice a year. Um, but you mentioned a good point, though. Um, there is a balance that I'm starting to strike where you do need your comfort zone. You do need to calm down and have your space and things like that. So for me, I'll tend to stay at a hostel for three or four days, knowing that I'm going to get my social interactions because as a solo traveler, I tend to stay at hostels where they do really good social planning and they get people together and they go on bar tours or they go on ghost walks or, you know, explore the city together. But after three or four days, I typically need a few days by myself. So I'll grab an Airbnb for two or three days and then I'll flip back to the hostel for a few days. And and, and I've started to learn what my personal balance is that keeps me sane um, in a world where you don't have that comfort zone that you can always go back to.
0: I like how you laid that out and how you've kind of... I mean, it sounds like you've really developed that and adjusted it on the road in real time, which is all you can really do, right? I mean, you can you can hypothesize how you will feel when you're living out of your Jeep or doing this hostile thing or whatever it is that a budget traveler or any traveler is doing. But it's really hard to understand what you're actually going to need to get your needs met and feel good most days. I mean, I think... When you're living your life on the road, you can't really expect that uh, everything it's not like a vacation where you're just, oh, you're going to feel good all the time and you're just kicking back and it's a week long and then you go back to the drudgery of your life or whatever. I mean, <laughs> this is life, you know, the drudgery of life follows you anywhere you go, right? So if you just live on the road, you're, you're living your life. I have a lot of questions around some of the stuff you just talked about. Uh, just going back to the Austin trip really quick, it, give me a ballpark on what you spent for that one week. And I, I mean, that was a long time ago, but just roughly.
1: Uh, well, I think back then, Austin's hostels tend to be a little bit higher, but I think 30 bucks a night was roughly for the hostel. Um, the flight was probably 200 bucks round trip and you know, probably 20, $20, 25 bucks a day for other things because when you stay in a hostel, you typically get breakfast. And then I, I, the way I roll is I'll, you know, these days, I don't know if I did it back then, but you know, buy some food to cook at the hostel. And then you go out for a couple of meals in the evening, a couple of beers in the evening. And that's, that's most of what you need to worry about. I don't typically do a lot of the tourist activities in most cities I like to walk around and just see things and, and people watch and look at beautiful architecture I'll go to some museums and things like that but um, I don't I don't personally tend to spend a lot of money because for me it's more about the people that i'm around and the 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 beauty of the places than it is doing those things that a lot of people a lot of people go on a trip and they have four days and they just want to jam it all in um, it's just not the way my brain is wired I tend to miss a lot of things in cities that other people would say oh you didn't go see that um, but that's my tempo. So, um, but yeah, that, that trip total for like a week, um, right now that trip would cost the same cause I've been back to Austin. I know what those, actually I stayed at that hostel last year again. Um, and that hostel still in the $35 to $40 a night range, um, right on the river there and flights, flights from here to there, are pretty cheap.
0: Yeah. I mean, so, where you are, are you're talking about maybe... A total of like 700 bucks, let's say, or something like that. If that, yeah. If Mm -hmm. that. Um, I just wanted to bring that up because you can think about uh, how travel can change your life in a lot of different ways, right? So if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, I mean, I think we can get caught in whatever information we're digesting, right? So if we might be reading an article on how somebody has sailed around the world, like how much it changed their life or whatever, but we can forget that, you know, a few hundred dollars and a week away by yourself somewhere... Can also completely change your life too. I mean, you still got these two friends you keep in touch with. You had a total perspective shift and opened up possibilities and unlocked your brain to this whole lifestyle. It sounds like, and um, that happened from a one-week trip in your home country to just a place that was a short flight away. And I mean, that can you could say the same about you know a weekend trip away, it's just a few days. I mean, I think the point I'm trying to make is just. Opening your mind to that, these revelations or these insights don't have to come from these dramatic international trips that maybe are more expensive.
1: So I have this, I have this theory of progress over perfection, and just planting these seeds of change because you know, we've heard the old adage that you overestimate what you can get done in a day, and you underestimate what you can get done in a year. And a lot, and a lot of people, including myself, I think you, we get we get overwhelmed with thinking in the short term. And we're, we don't realize that if you just chip away at these things, you're going to be two years older. You're going to be four years older. You're going to be six years older. If you choose progress over perfection, and you say, "Let me consciously put forth an effort to chip away at this thing," in two years you're going to look back and go, "Holy moly, I didn't re- I didn't realize that I could move that quickly." But if you look at it from the day to day, it looks like you're moving really slowly. And that's what happened to me. I mean. Those seeds started getting planted when I was 28, but even four years ago, um, when I really started listening to you and Travis and some of these other folks talk about this, the difference between four years ago and two years ago and now is mind-boggling. The conversations that I have with people about you know going to Bulgaria and, and, and the trip that I'm getting ready to go on is a 10-week trip. And when i hear my voice i'm like who is this like who's having having this conversation but that all started with four years ago and me saying okay what can i do to kind of just plant this seed and try this thing and all of a sudden four years later i have found a track that is completely different than i ever thought it would have been on so those little baby steps are wildly underappreciated throughout our lives um and then we all do tend to look back and go wow look what happened um, but you can, you can plan it a little bit more.
0: I love that progress over perfection. I mean, that's a great, anybody could write that down and just keep it in front of them every day because <laughs> that's motivating. But it's the, but the three key words. Is, you but know? the
1: key is progress is only progress if you continue to move. So if I make a change today or this month and I say, "Wow, well, I did pretty good. Let's stick with this. That's, that's going to impede your progress. You're the, you're then stagnating again. You, you know, I, I personally feel like you, we need to, make make leaps and bounds, you know, over the course of time then say, okay, good. I've 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 come this far. Let me keep looking forward. Let me keep looking forward. I think I, I use the analogy of like the the water bottles, the um I don't know if, what are these called? Uh, yeah, you know, talking about yeah, like a, the the, yeah, like a st- the metal st- water bottle. Yeah,
0: stainless steel you know? water bottle or whatever.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's a great step in the right direction but it's progress when people choose to start using these things and stop drinking so much bottled water. But the moment that becomes the last choice they make when it comes to the environment and changes and things like that, it's no longer progress. It, it kind of slows down. So, so I think the, the point of that is, you know, progress over perfection, but the progress, you have to keep moving the bar ever so slowly forward. Um, you can take two steps back, but you know, one step back, but continue to
0: take two steps forward. Well, what do you think the, the number one thing is that has allowed you to, to do that consistently.
1: Uh my superpower of overthinking things, which is also my kryptonite. I think myself into circles, which can be a great thing. Um you know, I kind of overanalyze analyze a lot of things. So it, it can be something that's crippling, but it's also something that pushes me forward and um you know, somebody who somehow kind of got ingrained in their brain to be an overachiever or to continue to try and I don't know if that's that blue collar mentality or that midwestern i I think i hear a lot of people saying that that's that midwestern you gotta put your nose to the grindstone and you gotta sweat it out and you gotta you know show blood to show progress um i think that was kind of ingrained in my brain you know from childhood and i don't stagnate well i i have to keep moving towards something so um for me knowing that i wanted to travel and i wanted to try this thing I, I think i've mentioned to you before the moment that i started viewing this as an experiment like my life changed um because i didn't have to everything didn't have to work out beautifully i could literally try something you brought up the living in the jeep but let's go back two years ago to when i bought the van um you know i i conjectured about van life for two years but to your point you can hypothesize all day long you don't know what it's going to be like to live in a van. So I bought a van and I used it for six months and I said, okay, I've learned that and I sold it. So essentially I rented it for like 1500 bucks for like six months and I got experiment. So again, you know, kind of that how do I continue to move the needle and just keep trying things and get better at things? um, I enjoy it. I enjoy the analytical, analytical aspect of it. And I enjoy sharing that with other people because I wouldn't be where I'm at if I didn't have people sharing with me along the way what they've done Um, and their voices resonated for me at a different time in my life or when I needed it. And, you know, that's kind of why I write and why I do the YouTube stuff, because I hope that my voice resonates with other people and some of the things that I'm learning can help them get to where I never thought I was going to be right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I love that you're sharing it. And we'll just mention your website again, the nomadexperiment.com. That's the nomadexperiment.com. It's like the Ohio State, right? Isn't that what they say? Well, let's stay on the idea of the experiment, because I think this is a wonderful lens through which to view life it, it gives you a certain freedom and detachment from the thing that you're going into to me that's how i feel about it it, it gives you kind of this uh free reign to to fail in the way or, or to, to maybe objectively try to understand how you feel about a certain thing because you're kind of stepping outside of it and taking it as you're putting it in this box that we call an experiment and then that's what an experiment is. You're like, all right, let me let let's try this and we'll see what the result is, except you're doing that with your own life. And I think it's a really healthy way to go through life, actually. I just want to hear your thoughts on, on the whole experiment philosophy. I know, I mean, it's obviously a huge part of your life because it's part of your business brand and um, you're living it. You talked about buying the van, selling it. You you've sold the house. You're doing all this stuff. Yeah, just share a little bit more about what experimenting means to you.
1: So, you know, something I always like to kind of lead with in regards to that is that everybody's dealing with something different. Um, You moved to Norway, you got, you know, two young children, a wife. Uh, your situation is very different than my situation. Um, They're not, not an experiment, necessary. by the
0: way. They're here. I'm not going <laughs> to... <laughs> right,
1: right. But, you know, these are, you know, we end up, everyone ends up at a certain place in life, not necessarily by choice. Sometimes it's kismet, sometimes it's circumstance, but we are where we're at right now and all we can deal with is what we have. So you with your family or me being single and having never been, you know, a, I, I kind of wish I maybe would have been married at some point or that would have been part of the plan, but that's not where I'm at. So therefore I look at it and say, okay, take the cards you're dealt. And what are you going to do with it? And, and yeah, just, you know, to be honest, that idea of the experiment, you, you really framed it well. Um, I look at whatever I'm doing as not a past fail. I look at it as purely effect gathering mission. So, um, you know, whatever trip I want, you know, when I went to Mexico, for instance, um, that was my first trip to Mexico. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of what hinders me on travel is fear. It's fear-based. It's fear of the unknown. It's fear of um, other countries that I just don't, I don't know anything about. I don't know their language. There's all these excuses that would stop me from going. I don't know the the currency. I don't understand how to get around the city, all those fear-based things. But at some point, It's all it's all your internal choice to say, am I going to let that stop me or am I going to disprove some of these things that might be false? Well, when I decided to go to Mexico, I bought a one way ticket because I said, well, if you're going to want to do this lifestyle of potentially living out of a backpack, you need to emulate some of these people that, you know, have been doing that. So I literally bought a one way ticket to Mexico. That was the first Um,
0: international trip.
1: Um, essentially, I had been to um, London back when I was 25 for a week. It was a work trip. It was real cushy. Um, I've been to Canada and I've been to the United States. So three countries <laughs> to that point. Um, so, so yeah, and I, and I flew into Mexico City and I was wildly uncomfortable just because I didn't I had never done anything like that before. But I knew where my safety zones were. I knew that I had a hostel to go to that was already booked and I knew, you know, that they had Uber and these are all the things I learned about it to make me more comfortable with it. But that was all, it truly was an experience. It was like uh, an experiment. I, I said, go to Mexico city. You got a hostel for a week. If you want to come home after a week, you buy a ticket home or you keep going. And sure enough, what happened was I met you know, quite a few people at that first hostel and we got along really well. And one of them said, Oh, well there's a back, you know, essentially a backpacking trail in Mexico from Mexico City all the way down and up to the Yucatan or vice versa. And he said, you know, you should go down to Oaxaca. I said, okay, how do I do that? And he's like, go get a bus ticket. And I'm like, how do I do that? <laughs> and so I really, you know, the beauty of that social aspect of hostels for me, again, is that you, you have people that are passionate about traveling. So you already know that there's conversation starters right there. Um, I'm actually quite introverted when I'm not with friends or speaking to somebody that I, you know, that I know. Um, but if there's something about going into a place where, you know, exactly what people like, that makes it a heck of a lot easier to have a conversation with them. Um, but yeah, I ended up down in Oaxaca. I took a bus through Mexico, which was, you know, again, that was scary to me because we get said a lot of propaganda BS here in the States about how dangerous their countries are, which, you know. I've had this conversation lately. Look at some of the stats on the United States and some of our cities. Um, they're pretty scary. So anyways, that's a, a side note. So anyways, um, that trip turned into a three-week trip, three different cities in um, in Mexico. Uh, I always wanted to learn to surf, learned to surf, broke my ribs, decided to come home. Um, but that truly was just an open-ended, you know, you, you can conjecture that you're going to like living out of a backpack, but until you try it, you don't know the real answer. I did that and I was like, hey, I can I can see how this could work. Um, you know, bought the van, tried it, see how that would work. Converted the Jeep into a Jeep that I could sleep in the back of and have storage and, and treat like a van light vehicle. Traveled for two and a half months across the US and that learned a lot of things. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's really, it's kind of like a fact gathering mission for me to, to try these things and then report back.
0: I love it. And I love the idea of the experiment it's kind of like you're giving yourself permission for it not to work out also. You know I mean? I think you can forget just how easy it is to really in this day and age to kind of like pull yourself out of a situation, right? It's like, well, if I don't like it, I'll just buy a ticket home after a week. I mean, it's really, it can be as simple as that. Yeah. You might spend more money and everything like that, but if you're truly miserable, I mean, it's going to be up to everybody in that kind of scenario, like how much time is giving it enough time and all those questions. But um, again, I just think it's a healthy way to approach things. I want to ask you about your road trip because you said you learned a lot and I want to learn more about what you learned. Do you think you're naturally like, you seem like a really positive thinker in a lot of ways, like some of the things you've just kind of been talking about your philosophies and things like that. Is that kind of your natural way of thinking? Or has that come through like work you've done? Or what would you say about yourself in regards to that?
1: I think uh, a lot of positive thinking is there to overcome negative thought. Um, I think for a lot of people, I mean, you read about it every day, you know, you have to have um, positive affirmations, or you can use positive affirmations, or you know, I think it's all about who you surround yourselves with. If you surround yourself or or, or you're digesting uh, media or putting yourself around people that have generally negative overtones, that's going to reflect on you. So, yes, I do tend to sway towards the positive these days because, for me, my rose-colored glasses are how I beat the blues. Like, there are going no matter what if you have a good day, that means there's a contrast to it, which is a bad day. There's a lot of stuff in between that. So we always know that to know that we're having a good day, we, we have to know what a bad day looks like, and we're going to have those things. So I think it's a constant, you know, battle to, especially in our like, overloaded digital, like work, 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 US mentality that we have here, um, to kind of push for the positive and and, and just find ways to to get that into your daily um, for real. I I actually have (laughs) a lot of articles going on in my head and I'm working on, working on one with a buddy about the change in our five, our, our circle of friends, you know, the five people that that you are impacted by the most are the five people that are around you. That has totally changed these days. People are digesting Netflix. They're digesting all these different things. It's no longer just the, the people that are around you. It's, it's these bigger things. So, I try and put myself um, in positive places and, and do those types of things because there's plenty of negative uh, that that gets in there no matter what. Um, but yeah, I do wear rose color glasses because um, life's a little bit more fun that way. Uh, you know, when 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 shit hits the fan, you got to find the right way to to look at it and go, how can this be, a, be used as a positive? Or else you're just gonna, you know, if you don't if you don't laugh, you cry, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I always kind of not always, but uh, sometimes I'll have this debate with myself because I go through these phases where... I've gone through these phases where I like to follow politics because it can be compelling and interesting, but then it also can be... And I'm using politics as an example because it's such a divisive thing. And it can either... It, it, a lot of times, I think, overall, it can really bring you down, which is why I think if you consume a bit too much of it, then at least for me, I'm speaking for myself, then uh, I get kind of but you can get kind of bummed out you can have like a defeatist attitude like none of this is ever going to change you know you can slip into these sort of thoughts about it and so a lot of times i'll do like what you're describing which is essentially go on a media fast or just try to avoid that stuff and stay in in my little positive bubble that i create which is i mean you know you're in the our community location indie so right there i can go in there and that's all like awesome stuff awesome people having conversations like this with you and other people that I get to interact with on a daily basis is a uh, generally like awesomely positive stuff and great to be around. So, but then I'm like, well, am I just being ignorant by ignoring these other things? Because shouldn't I be paying attention to things going on in the world? And then you'll get that feedback from other people too. But I also kind of reconcile that with the idea of like, well, Kind of with the work I do and the conversations I like to have, this is kind of the role I've given myself. So in a way, I try to I try to protect that by feeding my brain positive things. You know what I mean? But there's that battle of you don't want to be ignorant, you don't want to just block other things out and pretend that they're not real. And I don't do that. So it's just, it's kinda of like this balance. I, I just wanted to see if you ever struggle with that or think about those things or
1: well, I think we all try and stay within our comfort zones and politically uh, um, emotionally or things like that. We, we tend to stay around and consume things that make us feel better about ourselves or our positions in the world or our beliefs and things like that. So, but, but not always, right. The, it's like, no, it goes back to that idea of you can never truly appreciate the sweet without the sour. And unless you can see contracts, contrast between things, you you truly can't understand. And that's you know, it goes back to travel, you know, you, you've you heard it a million times, when people start traveling the world, they gain empathy, because they start to see other sides of things that they had never even knew existed. Um, you know, political conversations, environmental conversations, um, seeing things on the ground, meeting people, you know, when we stay within our lanes and within our bubbles, we don't get those opportunities. So, you know, I think, yeah, we we have to see enough of all sides to be able to make good decisions about the way we're leading our lives. Um, But But then it can, it it, can
0: cross over to, uh, to be too negative. I think in some ways, depending on,
1: but, but a lot of people, I don't want to say a lot of people, there are plenty of people that I've met along the way that it looks to me like they're completely fine being a very negative person. And that's their choice. My choice is to sway towards the positive side of that Um, to be, um, you know, this, this conversation, uh, kind of, I was talking to my dad last night and he was asking me about the way I write. And, um, he's one of my biggest fans and also one of my good critics who will give me some, some good criticism for me to think about. And I appreciate those types of things. And I write about a lot of, um, let's see, there's a guy I know that uses the word woo woo. Um, I write about a lot of woo woo stuff and, uh, and he, he he's asked me, he's like, you know, He's like, you, you have these videos that are about travel and then you have these other videos that are like about uh, like emotions and about like life and stuff like that. He's like, Don't you think that's like a conflict of interest or or do you think that's off putting to some of your he calls it my audience, like I actually have one. Um he's like to your audience. And and he and and I said, No, because all of that stuff is life. Like if you ignore any certain part of that, then you're kind of fooling yourself. So I think you know we have to we have to identify that that life is made up of a whole bunch of different things and you need to at least touch on all of those things in your day to day to make sure that you stay well balanced or can have a can have a good view of the world you know you drop any of those things out of there and all of a sudden ignorance sets in because you literally don't pay attention to certain things therefore you you don't have a leg to stand on anymore i guess
0: right yeah. and like you said i mean there's you can't have the light without the dark, or you know, yeah. like the contrast there that you mentioned, which is very Zen of you in some <laughs> ways, right? Are you like, do you? I'll take it. <laughs> do you uh, sway towards a certain philosophy in that way, like a certain life philosophy, outside of experimenting?
1: Um, I believe be- I am too humble to believe that that we are the only thing out here. Um, but um, I I just believe there's there's got to be something bigger. And if if there's something judging me one of these days, hopefully it looks at me and says, hey, he did a good job and he he did well by other people. And if if there's anything out there that judges me otherwise, then maybe I didn't want their judgment anyways.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Taking off in the Jeep, after you sell your home, get rid of your stuff, all this stuff, just, I guess, give us the overview on the road trip, but then I want to dig into how the days were, especially the first days.
1: Um, So I sold my house and it actually, it went on the market and I had like five offers within like a day. It it sold quicker than I thought it was going to, which actually accelerated the fact that I was liquidating my entire life down to essentially what fit in my Jeep for this road trip. So it got very accelerated there at the end. And um, not a bad thing, right? (laughs) no it was one of those you know pull off the band-aid type things um you know why wait it's going to happen so you know a couple years ago i built a bed platform into the back i have a four door cheap um, wrangler unlimited and i built a bed platform back there that i can store gear in and i can also sleep in it um so pretty much you know packed it up and headed west i knew that i was going to wds uh, world domination summit in the end of june i sold my house on may 17th and i hit the road destination portland with five weeks in between to see national parks and you know record videos and edit videos and um kind of do the 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 overlanding uh experiment and then you know the goal from there was to then drive down the coast do a little house sitting and then drive up to canada and make my way back to charlotte and then figure out what was next uh, got diverted a little bit, so...
0: <laughs> I think it's... uh It was more than just... Yeah, I mean, it, it's a little more than just the road trip experiment because you sold your house. This was the... Not, like, you weren't just going on this road trip. You are officially open-ended with all things life-related. So, of course, things are going to change, I guess, along the way. But, you know, the first week, 10 days, we'll say. I mean, how did, how did you feel the first couple weeks? Did you You know, you... I think there's the rush of it initially, but then you settle into the reality of it. Were you lonely? Was it? Were you ever questioning things? Was it an emotional roller coaster? Was it just good vibes all the time? <laughs> I mean,
1: yes, 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 yes. And so, um, <laughs> everything. All so, of the above. Yeah. So the nice thing about the first couple of weeks was that I still got to kind of baby step into it. So I hit the road going out of Charlotte and headed towards Nashville. And I have two friends that they they went full road warrior a month before I did. And they have a a five-year-old and a golden retriever. So I actually went to Nashville where they were were hanging out for a few weeks and, and stayed with them for two or three days. So I got to ease into it a little bit there. Then I stopped in Kansas City for a night. But to answer the question about, so first of all, loneliness. For anybody who's single that lives alone and potentially works alone and doesn't do the whole corporate America where you're around people every day. Now, granted, I have plenty of friends, but they typically do the corporate America thing where they're working every day and they have their lives. Um, There were so many times when I felt lonely in Charlotte. And I think a lot of people feel lonely in their normal daily lives, no matter what their situations. Well, for me, I was living in a house by myself, um, working in that house by myself a lot. So I was spending a ton of time alone. So I look at that and say, if I'm gonna be alone, or if I'm gonna feel alone this amount of time, in Charlotte, North Carolina, when I have a home and I have a place, why can't I hit the road realizing that if I can improve upon that loneliness, it's, it's an improvement or I just trade the location of those times alone. So, again, that whole lonely and loneliness thing, I think that's a choice. Um that's why I choose to stay at hostels. That's why I travel the way that I choose. So I put myself into situations where I do meet people, and I'm not going to yeah. suffer too that, much. from That's where the balance but, is coming
0: in, where you yeah. break it up with Airbnb, yeah. and you need your your alone time versus your social time.
1: Yeah. So when I hit the road, like I was in a vehicle by myself like the whole time. But the 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 part of the reason that I actually did this is because about five years ago, I, I was having a really bad day. And I said, man, you got to go hiking, like, that's your happy place. And I went hiking in within the first eighth of a mile, I said hi to like, eight different groups of people. And I was like being extrovert and all this different stuff. So being in nature changes me and being in those elements changes me to where I am more social and I am more energetic and I'm happier and all these different things. So I started meeting people when I was hiking and and I would just start random conversations with people and end up hiking with them for two hours or exploring caves or just having coffee at the, you know, at the campground coffee shop and start talking to people. So, um, yeah, there were quiet moments, but, I also had to get work done. I had to edit. I had to write. I had to do all these things, and that's what I use the quiet moments for. And then there were the the social moments.
0: How have you found balancing the work thing? Because I mean, when that you that was the steady, hard on the road. <laughs> yeah, when you that have to steady the Wi-Fi road. and the home and everything, it's a totally different situation than being yeah. on the road. And also, are you, you're still doing your freelance stuff, right? And
1: yeah, I'm a. I've I've kind of. I've taken a little bit of a self-imposed sabbatical because I really want to spend all my time writing for, you know, writing articles and, and kind of helping people do what I'm doing, you know, so writing for the Nomad experiment, editing videos, and that takes a lot of time. So for the next, I'm essentially taking some savings and saying, okay, put all your time and effort into this for this amount of time. And experiment, if you will. And experiment, and then, <laughs> and, experiment and, then uh, and then decide what to do next after that. This is um, getting again, really
0: meta, man. <laughs> it is, I know.
1: Um, so so yes, I do still have some clients, and I do still work with some folks, but I'm not actively going out there and trying to continue to fill those holes because I have you know a full work week with the things that I'm doing. Um, but doing that on the road was difficult. I'm a straight shooter. Uh, it, it was tough, like you don't have Wi-Fi. I'm the only one driving. I can't let someone else drive my rig and then get some work done on my computer. Um, There was a lot more driving involved. Just, you know, if you want to hike and you want to shoot video and you also want to drive from place to place, that doesn't leave a lot of hours in the day to get actual work done. So, it got, it got difficult. I had to make some changes um, midway through to you know, how many destinations I was trying to make it through, or just the reality of what I was going to be able to accomplish. Because if you set your bar too high and it's unrealistic, you're always going to fail. Um, you have to take a look at your situation and go, how do I adjust this to be realistic and still be, you know, pushing your own envelope or making sure that you're achieving things. But you have to stay realistic, or else you're just gonna you're essentially setting yourself up for defeat. So I had a, I had a, you know, switch my reality a few times as to what I was going to be able to get accomplished. But, um, I'm still editing videos from that road trip. And I've been off of that for a month because, you know, when, when it takes eight to eight to 14 hours to edit one video, you you can't, you can't just stack them up next to each other and get them done while you're on the road. So, um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, it was very difficult to get work done on the road as a solo overlanding traveler.
0: I guess the two tips you would provide would be the uh don't be over ambitious with your routing schedule and or over over ambitious with the amount you think you can get done. Right? I mean that's
1: if you're if you're traveling solo. Now if you got a copilot, that totally changes the game because you're gonna have somebody to help you with everything and also somebody to drive and, and just look up where you're going next or do do you know to to balance the workload. So Um, as a solo traveler, there's, there's a a different rule book to everything. Um, it's similar, but it's different. Um, there's just concessions that you have to make when you're doing it by yourself, not good or bad. There's just concessions that you have to make.
0: Yeah. When you, when you work for yourself in this way, or especially when you're doing something that you're really excited about, like you love making videos, you make great videos. Um, you obviously put a lot of time into them, so you're excited to do it. That doesn't mean it's not a job sometimes, but maybe it's a job a lot less times than somebody who hates their job where it's like it feels like a job all the time. Do you try to shut it off and like have a travel experience or do you just make it all kind of one big experience together?
1: That's always something that I've been conscious to pay attention to. Um, And with this whole conversation, like uh, this is all a work in progress. I think, you know, everybody's struggling with the same things on different days. Um, so if it sounds like I know what I'm doing when I say something that's complete bullshit, um, (laughs) I'm like working through this stuff as I go. But, um, I, I, I hit a brick wall a couple of times, um, to where I was working too hard. I was, and it's funny, I have a lot of friends in the YouTube sphere and, and in the writing sphere now that they, that's a weird word. I don't like that. Sphere. Um in the in the like video it. I'm a fan in the video editing <laughs> world, like that are doing these things. And we like I I pay attention and a lot of people burn out because they set that bar way too high for themselves and they do like, live. I'm gonna behind do the a daily too vlog too
0: starting yeah. now. Oh, absolutely. And it's That's like...
1: no joke, man. So many daily vloggers, they will they will inevitably have that video about burnout. And I've always said, you know, to my friends, be careful when you're doing that. Like, this is about you. This is about your life. You've talked about lifestyle design before. And, you know, if you're consciously choosing to do this, don't let it be your downfall. But sure enough, just like any other day-to-day or job, you get a little bit blinded, convoluted. And all of a sudden, you look at it and go, what the hell happened? What's going on? And that was kind of, I got there a couple of times where I was really, the thing is, I'm it's coming from a good place. I want to share these places with people. I've never been there. I'm like a kid on Christmas. Every park I go to every place I go to, like it is amazing. And I want to show that to people and I want to give it to them in a way to where they're inspired and they want to go these places. So it is really hard to draw a line and say, I'm going to turn the camera off for an entire day and I'm not going to be able to share this with anybody and they're not going to get inspired or they're not going to, you know, plan their next trips, to go to this amazing place they've always wanted to go to, but this might've been the turning point for them. Um, but there were times when I just hit a wall and I got so irritable and frustrated and mad at not having enough time or not enjoying things to where I had to reset that balance a little bit. I remember I was in um, Sequoia and that, that happened. Part of the reason that happened is because the summertime is is the most popular time for national parks, which means there's tons and tons of people. So with all the good people that are doing the right thing, there's a, there's more of the people that are kind of not treating the parks the way they need to be treated. So I was seeing a lot of that, and it was grinding on me. Um, and finally, I just I hit a wall and I was like, I got it, I'm done. Like and I put all my cameras away. And I don't even think I get to have a whole video on Sequoia because I think I just turned it off during the day and I was like, I'm done. And I drove to Yosemite. <laughs> like I literally got in my defense like, through this, this noise. I'm driving to Yosemite. And I don't
0: know why I'm imagining you like peeling out with dust kicking up <laughs> and like, you know, like running over a stop sign on the way. And like, I,
1: it, was very, it was not unlike that. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm done. But I got to Yosemite and I, and I pulled up to a boondocking spot on a mountain and and I knew that I was in a bad place. I knew that I was frustrated and I made it a point a lot of nights to drink, you know, a, a couple fingers of scotch before I went to bed. Cause I'm like, you know, sitting under the stars have a drink. And I said, well, you're going to go to bed frustrated and, or you can go over to those people and talk to them and see if you can make friends, which again, not my strong point. And I was like, you're either going to walk over there and say hi, and they're going to be stiff and not want to talk to you. And you're going to come drink by yourself anyways, or you're going to go over there and they're going to be cool. And you're going to get to hang with people and change your, change your brain a little bit. And I did that. And, you know, between just turning it off for the day and recharging with some people underneath beautiful stars and talking about, they were also from different countries. Um, One of them was on the sabbatical and the other two were, I think were from like Sweden. And so we all just talked about national parks and it kind of hit the reset button for me. But after that, I was more cognizant of the fact that I, I needed to balance a little bit more and that this was, you know it's not just meant for me to share with other people like i have to experience myself as well
0: yeah so. you know we talked about our common love of hiking getting out in nature and stuff like that so sometimes some of this stuff for me can kind of go against the point of being in nature you know so then i can imagine that could be a struggle like an extra struggle for you because you're touring national parks yeah right But then you're also. Well, and the funny thing is, I don't
1: like technology. I really, I have an aversion to technology. But at the same time, it it allows you (laughs) to share,
0: right? Yep. I mean, it's this double edged sword, I guess. And I mean, it's it's hard to. I mean, I like what you said too, because I I know your heart's in the right place, because I know you. But also, I mean, you can, if you're listening, you can hear that when somebody who's a content creator like Jason is like having a hard time shutting off, and and one of the first things they say is because. Oh, they're not going to get to share this with people and inspire them. That's the right way to create content in my opinion. Like if you're if if the content you're creating is meant to help other people do something. You know, there's obviously all types of content. There's entertaining content and things like that. And I know you do that with your videos. I mean, they're entertaining, but you're also, you know, teaching some things along the way, showing people some stuff and I mean, even just making an entertaining video from a place uh like Yellowstone where somebody hasn't been there can inspire somebody to go and get out there and do things but i like that that was a big kind of thing for you that that was kind of the first thing you went to so anyway thank that's you. that's a good thing i think
1: i didn't even think about it that way but thank you
0: <laughs> i'm i'm such a huge fan of the national parks i one of the things i've been wanting to do in this podcast is just do like a national park series and I still haven't done it yet. I got to get somebody touch with somebody at the national parks. Uh Yeah. I mean, if anybody from the national park is listening right now, you know how to email me, Jason at zero to travel.com. Sorry.
1: Um, or Jason at great videos.
0: <laughs> there you go. But what, yeah, what were some of the highlights for you along the way on this trip? We should give, you know, I kind of just plan on having a wide ranging conversation with you. So I actually didn't plan this much because I knew it would just roll like this. Um, so this is great. But I think it might be fun to just take a little time and get some national park tips from you because you were there during the high season. Like you said, you were battling the crowds. You were creating content. You were hiking and enjoying it. You were doing all these things. So I think there's a lot of elements here. And because you spent a lot of time in a, a bunch of them... Yeah, I think it would be a good time to kind of just share some of those tips with people. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I, I I hate to use the word preach, but I, I, I probably say this in every single one of my videos. <laughs> preach is, away! <laughs> I, I will. Um, a lot of people go to these national parks like once a, in a lifetime or, you know, maybe twice in a lifetime, which is still not enough to, you know, when you go, if you're planning a vacation with your family, and I understand some people have kids and that changes your your scheduling requirements and things are difficult. The majority of the people visit these national parks between 10 a.m. and 5 p.m., roughly, 9 to 6, 10 to 5. Um, there is a mass exodus at between 4 and 6 o'clock in almost every one of these national parks. And if you get there before 10 a.m., you can have amazingly populated trails all to yourself if you merely – tweak your schedule. Um, I, you know, I, I went to the Narrows in Zion last fall, That not part of this trip, but, and I made my dad get up at six in the morning. So we got the first shuttle in to do the Narrows, which we, we were one of, or we were two of maybe a dozen people that got off. And within five minutes, we, we saw no one when we were going back at noon or when I was going back at noon in any direction for a hundred feet, there were easily 25 to 50 people. And that's just the difference between three and four hours. And that's the way that it was during this trip. Yellowstone, Yosemite, all these different places, especially the ones that you're going to get the tour buses like Yellowstone, like Yellowstone is like a tour bus ha- haven during the, during the middle of the days. But most of those buses don't start until nine o'clock or nine thirty, And you can just have an amazing experience if you just get out there by seven 30, eight o'clock um, and then take a break in the middle of the day and then come back in the evening and see a beautiful sunset. That nobody gets to see, um, you know. Plan your plan your meals accordingly, yada yada. But that's number one. Um, driving takes a lot more time than you would expect inside a lot of these national parks. Yellowstone is huge. Uh, Badlands, the, the 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 scenic drive in Badlands National Park is like thirty miles. I did it three or four times a day sometimes because it was so beautiful. But that takes two to three hours of your day. Um, Five times, I think I totally under- underestimated those. Uh, gas money out west is seventy percent higher than it is out east. So, if you're an East Coaster heading out west, budget accordingly. Um, my budget numbers were for, for like two fifty a gallon in California. It was over four dollars a gallon. So, that take take that into consideration. Um, but no, honestly, like take care of the parks. Um, if you have a national park pass. Throw an extra five or ten bucks into the donation jar because they need the money. The infrastructure needs the money. They do a good job of trying to keep up with it, but so many people are using the national parks that you know they they need financial uh, donations. So that's that's the last thing.
0: <laughs> They're some of my favorite things anywhere in the world. America's national parks. I just, uh, I mean, I just love national parks everywhere, but there's there is something special about my home country's national parks of course maybe it's a home country pride talking there but just so many iconic beautiful things i mean you just think about standing in yosemite valley and it doesn't even look real you're just kind of like what is this even what is this fake backdrop and that just happens time and time again in the national parks
1: well and the, the last thing i'll say about that is i went to i think eight like between eight and ten i think and And I know this is the whole point, but until you see it, you don't realize they are so different. I mean, so monumentally different from park to park, even Yellowstone to Yosemite, which are border each other. They're just so different. Badlands, Redwoods, Sequoia. The differences between all of these parks is just mind boggling. And I don't think I ever realized that. You know, even though it goes back to earlier in our conversation, you, you didn't realize you could leave your home state. The whole point of the national parks is is that where they designated them is so unique that it needed to be shared with, with our citizens. But until you see them all in person or line a few of them up and say, wow, that, you know, they're all, you know, these five parks are within 300 miles from each other, but they are so vastly different. Um, it is really amazing.
0: What are you most proud of? about all this
1: probably going against my comfort zone and the fear of of what of the unknown um you know traveling was completely a fear of the unknown as well as going up against what i will say are essentially marketing tactics to keep our money in in the united states or to have us not traveling outside the united states um you know i grew up on a lot of misconceptions about other countries and about other people in other places so therefore i was essentially scared to travel to other countries Um, let alone you know just not knowing how to do it there was a fear of that these places were dangerous um so merely going against my comfort zone so much and dealing with it and pushing through it and continuing to experiment with it, like that's hard. And I hope that people listening to this can see that sometimes fear, we can use other words for fear, or we can make excuses for it. We can say, oh, I just, I don't really wanna go to that country. When in reality, deep down, there's something that has programmed you to say, you don't, you're, you're afraid of that and you'd rather not disprove the things that you've learned. Like there's, for me, I'm comfortable talking about these things. I'm comfortable dissecting the idea of why we do things or why we don't do things and how can we push ourselves. Um, And that's a lot of the stuff that I write about, but you know, I think overcoming some of those things, like we have to do it on a daily basis. I still have to, you know, get out of my comfort zone to go talk to somebody on a daily basis because I am an introverted type of person. And, you know, I work through things like what's the worst that can happen. They could be rude and, you know, you don't talk to him anymore, or you can make a new friend that changes your life. Like when you look at those worst case scenarios, typically the worst case scenario is never going to happen. Um, and it's the same way with travel and it's the same way with kind of pushing your status quo in your life. Um, you know, ask the questions, ask yourself what's the worst case scenario, and then ask yourself what the best case scenarios are and look at them and go, which ones are more likely to happen? And usually, the worst case scenarios are going to drop by the wayside, and so many of the possible best case scenarios could happen. that it's like, well, why wouldn't I give this a try?
0: Right? Yeah, you can think about the lead up to the trip and all the big things that you did to sell your house and and all this stuff. All that, you know, others who have just sold everything to travel the world. Like, there's there's so much in there, so much fear to overcome and everything like that. But then, you know, you get on the road and you forget. I mean, I think travel forces you to face more fears more consistently, right? Like you were saying, like being more introverted and being kind of worried about putting yourself out there, but then going through this sort of checklist or checking in with yourself. I mean, this you build like this muscle to overcome these fears. And there's these small things that happen throughout the day. Like, should I go talk to this person? You have this internal dialogue. You go do it. Maybe you don't. You learn from that, whatever. That you just... I don't feel like you can get faced with as much in certain situations at home if you're not actively seeking it out you know i mean it's not like you can't do that at home because you certainly can but i think travel like puts it maybe puts it more in your face where you it's can be more unavoidable in some certain circumstances where you like all right like i really have to face this uh doubt or fear i have right now because i don't really have a choice (laughs) you know so doing that consistently is is a big life change
1: and this trip coming up is is a whole new possibility or uh, opportunity for me to stretch those let's muscles. Talk
0: because. about, what's the trip? Let, let's hear about the trip coming up, man. This is the next phase, right? Because you were, now yeah. you took you took this, and I like this too. I think this is a good planning tip, just the way you're doing this, because you said before you're going to take, you took this road trip, two and a half months, and you're like, and then I'm going to see what happens after that. So you came back, you did this house sit, and then you had to figure out the after that. And I think that's a good way to approach it because it's hard to kind of, I think the after that can, uh, I'm using air quotes there, can be stressful for some people. You know, well, what am I going to do after that? I don't know what I'm going to do after that. Okay, that's three months, but then what? But you, you just sit down, and you figure it out at some point, right? Like, how, how did you decide what the after that was going to be? At what point did you make that decision?
1: Well, number one, I'm technically homeless right now, so right. I so, have to figure yeah, out and right. after You're, that I, again. You
0: know. <laughs> forced to figure something out, right? <laughs> right.
1: So, so originally I was supposed to. I, so last summer I went and volunteered at um, a festival, and I met some some friends that one of them is opening up a cafe in uh, north of London. So originally I was going to go over there and help her and volunteer at that cafe for a month, hang out in London, and kind of go from there. Well, that fell through. So I was kind of like, well, I'm still able to do this. Then let's just divert the plan. Let me interject that part of the reason my road trip got cut short is because I started having some tooth pain, which sounds super adulty, adulting conversation to me, but
0: this is reality, man. It
1: it, it is a reality. And I've never had any like problems in my mouth. This was really bad. I ended up back in Charlotte and they're, they're telling me that essentially i i need a tooth pulled that is going to need a, a tooth to replace it which means getting an implant long story short implants in the united states cost about six thousand dollars and so talk my about buddy a jason budget moore, buster. my buddy jason moore did this podcast a couple months ago about <laughs> international <laughs> dentistry or international uh medical And I said, well, I I can't afford $6,000 for a freaking tooth, so what am I to do about it? So I really started researching other countries, and I was looking at Costa Rica and Mexico and and really educating myself about something that I was um, not educated about, but yet I had had made judgments about, even though I wasn't educated about it. What I found is Budapest has more dentists per capita than I think any country in the world, and they have more dental colleges, I think, and... So essentially, I'm going over to Ireland for two weeks and then finishing that flight over to Budapest. I'm going to get a tooth pulled in Budapest and eventually get a an implant, and all of that's going to cost me about $1,500 as opposed to $6,000. And by the way, the service that I've received at this point is mind-bogglingly better than anything I've ever experienced in the United States. So no granted, they haven't pulled my tooth,
0: but... <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, after this is, I mean, yeah, and I can link to that podcast in uh, in the show notes. But I mean, this is interesting because you know these are the things that can happen in life. So just because you sold your house, you plan this big trip, doesn't mean all of a sudden you're not going to have a major dental surgery come up. I mean, this is this is reality. So it's really cool that you're continuing that sort of unconventional lifestyle thinking, <laughs> carrying it into your dental work. Um, you know, but after a lot I of to, due diligence, I still had to
1: come back but I still had to come back to my comfort zone that you talked about. Like the reason I left Reno and drove all the way back to Charlotte is because I didn't know how to deal with that dental situation when I was halfway across the U S. So I did end up having to balance that comfort zone of what I knew, but then I was forced into saying, well, I'm here and I don't have $6,000 for a tooth. So let me figure this out. And I know because of what I've learned that there are other options and now let's start digging into it. And you know, here, here I am <laughs> going to Budapest to get a pulled.
0: <laughs> Do you have any tips on that the, with the research you've done and everything? I mean, just any resources or anything you want to share?
1: Honestly, if you, if, if anybody just does a Google search for, um, uh, what did you say on the, what is it called medical tourism or, or dental tourism, and they don't call it tourism anymore. They call it, um, whatever you'll find results. And, you know, the way that I do research is do enough, you know, find 10 different pages from 10 different sources and see what they have in common. Um, there's going to be discrepancies, but there's going to be a lot of things in common and then kind of dig from there. The resource that you have in that podcast is a really good one. And, and they, they actually have listings of accredited uh, dental offices across the world that meet certain criteria. But you still need to go a bit further and look into them and go to Google and look at Google reviews. And Google is. Google kind (laughs) of rules the world these days on certain things. And you can always find a Google review on pretty much anything to to start to put up against what the place's website says, look for accreditations, look for, you know, most dental um, offices, there's a few accreditations that they can have that just start to stack up and you say, okay, well, I've seen that people value that. And this place has two or three of them. Cool. Or they have international dentistry awards um you know things like that that you know and and the other thing is i i think we're also very complacent about the way that we do some of our medical stuff in the us i saw a you know a comic today uh, and it showed a line of a line of people lining up for surgery or medicine or a line up for like you know uh, organic solutions and i think we do tend to just take for granted what our doctor tells us, or what our dentist tells us, and and unless unless you're really in a situation where you do need a lot of second opinions, we don't dig deep enough to see what our options are. Sometimes I know I am I am that way, and I have venture to say other people, because of time constraints and things like that, they might fall into that same trap. And merely looking at some of these options, I was like, you know, when you when you find a a, a dental um, place that's doing 5,000 implants a year that has glowing reviews, you kind of go, okay, well, they clearly know what they're doing and people seem to think that they agree. So now the facts are stacking up to say, why wouldn't I give this a try? Because money is an object. We all know
0: that money is an object. Do you have to spend money? Uh, I'm sorry, spend time on the back end to follow up appointments and things. That was one of the things I know.
1: I love how, I love how this turned into a conversation about like, and I, I started it, but about dentistry. Um, so technically an implant takes, um, two different visits. I have the, the terrible obligation that I get to go back to Bulgaria or, uh, Budapest a couple of times. Right. So okay. yeah. yes, I will go, I will go back a couple of times over the course of the next year, year and a half, um, to finish things, but, even at that rate, especially with travel hacking some flights, like this flight is only costing me a hundred dollars because of, I mean, even if know, it, using-
0: even if you spent six thousand dollars, which you're not going to, get, you would be getting yeah. two trips to Budapest and all that stuff. Yeah. even though I know when I did that other podcast, they said, don't look at it that way, but of course, you can't help looking at it that way as a traveler, um,
1: yeah, <laughs> and realistically i'm gonna I'm gonna spend money on food and things like that. So let's say I spend four thousand dollars on flights and this and the other. Yeah, it, but the, the the reality of that situation is with people that are using points or even just dabbling into travel hacking, is that these flights are gonna end up costing me three or four hundred bucks for three flights. The one that I have right now is from Charlotte to Ireland, to Ireland to Budapest, and then I fly out of Paris back to Charlotte. And that flight is sixty thousand miles and and a hundred dollars. So, you know, if people are smart about those things, um, it it can still be monumentally cost effective. And the reality of it is. Even if you have a procedure done here in the States with somebody who looks highly reputable or you choose to go somewhere else with somebody highly reputable, something could go wrong in either one of those instances. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a malpractice or something like that. Like your jaw may, may not take the implant or, you know, your shoulder surgery might not be complete and they have to go back and do some more work. Those things are going to happen whether you're in the United States at somebody reputable or somewhere else. So, yeah, why not? you know, why not hack it a little bit and save some money? Adulting is expensive. (laughs) Um, So if you can figure out some ways to hack that, then why not?
0: Yeah. I mean, and of course, if you can, I mean, if you have to do follow-up appointments and things, not everybody, but since Jason lives the open-ended life of a a nomadic traveler, he can do that.
1: Well, and for people that are in North America, um, North America and Canada, a a lot of people go down to Costa Rica or Mexico. Costa Rica, I think is like the the main place. and, And I could be wrong. I, I kind of stopped doing the research on Central and South America um, when I realized that I was you know, going to be over in, in Europe. But Costa Rica, I believe, is kind of the hotbed for where folks go um, in North America and South America to get that work done. So it's that's that's pretty approachable for somebody here in the states. And and mind you, go to San Diego um, and and walk across the border because the the everything I was reading about the um dental clinics in Mexico just across the border in San Diego, their co- competition is American dentists in San Diego. That's the bar. And they know that people are going to drive 20 miles over the border and get amazing dental care done because it's, you know, half the cost. So there's plenty of options if you look into it.
0: Cool. Um, what do you I will mo- be
1: documenting this very well once I go through all of these things. And, and another, yeah.
0: another experiment to add to the books and, uh, I I, want to throw this out there because I I know you love these things. Be sure to brush up on your Hungarian. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sorry. (laughs) 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 Anyway, uh, no more puns, I promise. Dude, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, I feel like there's another conversation coming at some point because this journey is going to continue for you, of course, and... Um more lessons, more tips, more all everything to be had, I'm sure. And you can follow Jason's journey at the Nomad the com. And anything else I'm missing that you want to share, go for it, man. I know you got the YouTube station and everything.
1: Yeah, YouTube, uh, the Nomad Experiment on YouTube is probably um, you know, if you like if you like the visuals, go to YouTube. If you like reading the words, go to the website. I'm looking forward to this trip. It's going to be an interesting one. So there'll be a lot of uh, fun, fun videos and things like that between Ireland, Budapest, uh, I think I'm going to try and hit Vienna, Prague, Munich, Nice. Yeah. A couple of places in France. I um, haven't figured it all out yet, but you know, for me again, I'm a kid on Christmas whenever I go to these places, because it's all new to me. And I try and try and relay that um, whenever I share the the videos and things like that and have some fun with it. And I will be going to Dingle. In Ireland, which I I don't know if I'm going to be able to overcome my 13-year-old sense of humor in that video, so
0: <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> Uh-oh, insert Beavis and Butthead laughter here. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> what are you most grateful for right now?
1: Um, right now? You. Oh, wait. Um, I thought you were digging still, again. Still. Um, well, I, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I know, I know that number one, I had good people bringing me up and good people along the way that, that put good things in my heads. But then, you know, the opportunity to learn from a lot of people along the way and recognize not only that they are good people, keep them around, but they got good knowledge. And then I'm, I'm glad that I have the wherewithal to try and do something good with that. That that sounds like, it sounds like I'm boosting myself up there, but Honestly, I know like, what you
0: mean. You're, you're feeling like, yeah, have, you're taking advantage of your opportunities that you've been given.
1: Yeah, I have. I think you know, if you have tools to be able to do something and try and make a difference, then do it. And every it looks different for everybody, but um, I'm trying to do it, and you know that's important to me. And you know, hopefully, other people can grow from it. Again, it goes back to the fact that I learned stuff from you and Travis. I learned stuff from my buddy Gage, like this is, it takes an army. And if we all realize that if we pitch in a little bit more and give more, it, it's a lot easier. I think when we kind of close up shop and, and stay within our bubbles too much, um, we all stop growing. So uh, I, I you know, read books, listen to podcasts, um, do the things that used to be homework in school, and you're going to keep growing and kind of challenging yourself and it's fun. I never, I never expected to be in this, in this position and who knows where I'll be tomorrow. I could, you know, choose to go back to the nine to five or choose to settle down again. But, um, you know, the growth that happens whenever you push yourself outside your comfort zone is just, it's, it can be amazing. So.
0: I love it, man. And like you said before, kind of back at the beginning of the interview, you said, uh, you know, you can always get everything back. You can get a house, you can do these things, you can get a loan, whatever. I mean, obviously, depends on the cash situation for people and all that stuff. But I mean, the point is you can get things back that you gave up. So nothing's a forever thing. And and another, I think, great tidbit that you shared. And uh, man, I, uh, I'm grateful for you, man. I'm grateful for your presence in my life, dude. I really am. Uh, We
1: got to get together in person again. I
0: know we did it in Denver and um, hopefully we'll be doing it again within the next year. I would say, I mean, you're going to be, you're going to be in Europe. I mean, I'm in Europe. We're going to, I'm going to be stateside again in in the spring. So we're going to make that happen. And certainly I know you've been in our Location Indie community for a while. So I just want to say thanks for that and just being a part of that and how much you've brought to that. Just all the stuff you're doing, man. It's, it's really exciting. So I appreciate you, man.
1: Cool, it's great to see you. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, <laughs> we got to do this again. virtual stuff more often. <laughs>
0: we got to do this. Yeah, we got to do this virtual stuff, and we and hopefully the in person stuff. You know, yeah, that's always yep. the best. But uh, we'll be we'll be chatting. Cool, man. Check out Jason at thenomadexperiment.com dot and uh, we'll talk with you soon, Jay. All right,
1: thanks, Jason. Peace. Peace. Hey.
0: There you have it. Thank you. Jason for stopping by and sharing your take, your fresh take on nomad life. And of course life as an experiment, which it's always a great reminder for me, right? I'm not sure what you took away from this interview. I love the idea that we can put these things out and people can take different things from this conversation that might impact them. I love that. And one of the big things that I took personally from this conversation is just a, a gentle reminder to treat things as an experiment, that whole visual idea of putting something in a box that you're going to do, detaching a bit from it a little bit, and just deciding, hey, we'll see what happens. I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody ever knows what's going to happen when you do things, but it just, it's freeing. I don't know. It's freeing. I don't know about you, but I really think that's a healthy way to approach life. So a great reminder for me, as I continue to evolve as a human being, like we all are, to make sure that I run things through that experimental lens and try to be chill, be chill, and just see how it goes, right? See how things go. That's all we can ever do. Okay, now, before I let you go, a couple quick tips on how to cut down your plastic waste while you travel. So I got to give a shout out here to grail and the website is g-r-a-y-l they sent me their product which is this really cool looking actually water bottle and it's very simple you fill it up you fill it up with water you press it down and you drink why do you press it down well because it has a filter built in and what this does is kills waterborne viruses all over the world globally so you get global protection from waterborne pathogens plus chemicals heavy metals and even microplastics. and there are waterborne viruses found in developing countries all over the world they're infecting travelers infecting local populations and you can use this thing anywhere so if you're going to carry a water bottle this is such a fantastic solution because don't buy plastic water bottles and when you go to those countries where you can't drink the water You can bring a grail and, again, just use it and don't create plastic waste. You can see after a trip how much you can think if you're buying plastic water bottles. Think of the visual of that. How many bottles are you buying a day? How many days are you gone? That adds up to tremendous waste. And way back in the day, before I became a more conscious traveler, I used to do this as well. This is not... good thing to do so then I started learning about water purification and different things that I could do while I was traveling to not buy plastic so I wanted to give you a tip there and one other tip around that I heard about this app called tap it's called I got it pulled up right here tap find water anywhere and the idea of this app is that they created these refill stations all over the world and then you can just simply download this app and find a clean drinking water in different places. So that's another solution. So I think if you bring some kind of water purification solution like the Grail and combine it with this app, you could have a pretty good coverage and not have to buy plastic water bottles. So I just wanted to throw that out there. If you're somebody who buys plastic water bottles, I'm just going to make my little plea here on my soapbox to ask you to stop (laughs) and to figure out another way because there are Other ways. And uh, yeah, thanks to Grail for sending me this uh, outstanding product. I'm excited to travel with it. And if you want to check it out again, Grail, G R A Y L dot com. You can see it over there and see what it looks like. All right, I'm going to leave you with a quote from my guru, my favorite guru, Paramahansa Yogananda. By the way, autobiography of a yogi. Great book if you're interested in mysticism and that sort of thing. Anyway, I digress. Here's the quote He said, A thought without soul conviction behind it has no value. I'll read it again. A thought without soul conviction behind it has no value. So, if you have a thought, put a little soul conviction behind it, maybe treat it as an experiment, who knows what'll happen. (laughs) I'll leave you with that idea today to ponder and let you go about your day. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, for being a part of the Zero to Travel global community. Again, don't forget to sign up over at zerototravel.com Come join us over there, and I will see you next time, my friend. Peace. This podcast
1: has been brought to you by Zerototravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.